Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Um, I'm Jonathan. I'm not the normal host, but our normal host, Drew, uh, is out today feeling a little under the weather, so we're going to be filling in for him. Um, we have with us uh, two panelists, uh, Jeff Smelser from Exton, PA. Uh, Jeff, how are things going for you? Hey, good. Good afternoon, Jonathan. So does that make you the abnormal host? I suppose, yeah. Yeah, as abnormal as possible. That's how I choose to uh, live most of my life. <laughs> um, and uh, we've got Scott in Gettysburg, um, where I'm from as well. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Jonathan. All right, good. Um, so today uh, we titled the, um, the broadcast uh, Courage versus Compromise. Uh, and so, Scott, why don't you get us started uh, what we're going to be talking about with that? All right. Uh, I'd like for one of you to take up in just a minute and start going through some examples to set the stage from the book of Daniel. Uh, but I'd just like to describe different types of people that are in the world. There are very, very wicked people that glory in their shame, that push corruption and vileness and whatever. Uh, and that's the term proud about it. There are people that do not approve of a lot of the wickedness that goes on. And some of those will stand up, but others just silently disapprove. And then there are people that will like tall grass in a field. They blow whichever the wind is blowing. And so we want to think about where we stand. Uh, we live in a culture that is going to constantly be trying to get us to compromise. And do we compromise or do we just silently keep our head low, but not go along, but not be noticed? Or do we stand up for what's right? And with that introduction, uh, how about one of you start us in the book of Daniel? Well, Daniel's first chapter, we have this story about Daniel being carried away to a foreign country. Imagine being a young man, perhaps a teenager, and you are taken, um, not by your choice, you are taken from your family, from your country, to live in a foreign country, and, and uh, you, you are under the authority of the king of that foreign country. You're going to feel a lot of pressure. First of all, you're going to be out of sorts. You're going to be out of place. Uh, you know that your life is in their hands. And you're going, you're going to want to get along. And there, he's not put in prison. He's actually taken to be trained for service in the royal court. And so what happens? Well, we come down to verse 8. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. I'm not sure I fully understand what the objection was to the foods, but Daniel could not in good conscience participate. He felt that he would be defiling himself if, if he did so. But under those circumstances, can you imagine a young man, a teenager, who is um, under the, the control of captives who are giving him a chance to, to excel? Boy, the pressure to just go along with whatever they say would be great. And yet, you know, his convictions were paramount. But he wasn't ugly about it, was he? No. He, he was, hey, I, I can't do this. Can we do this some other way? And it works out for him. Whether it worked out or not, though, um, you see a good example here of somebody who had the courage of his convictions. Later on, he has some friends for whom they had to say, even if it doesn't work out, maybe we can talk about that for a minute. And 
you, you set the stage with he's a young man, he's taken away to this faraway country, and the mentality that probably affected some of the Jews when that happened was the same mentality that you hear today when they say, when in Rome. Yeah, do as, do as Rome. What happens yeah. in Vegas. Stays in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. And he, notice it says, he decided, he resolved. In his mind, he, decide, he, he had to make a decision, and he decided, no, I'm not going to do that. And he asked for vegetables. And I suspect this is along the same lines as Jews in Rome, referred yeah. to in the book of Romans, who were eating vegetables. You're in a pagan capital. You don't have control over all the food sources. Yeah. And an easy way to have a mosaic diet is to eat vegetables. And you see what's at stake when even the guy who is responsible for Daniel's development says in verse 10, I am afraid of my Lord, the King, uh, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So the guy who's in charge of Daniel's nutrition and development, he's saying, look, I can lose my head if, if you don't eat this stuff. So again, you see what's at stake here. All right. So you mentioned uh, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's take a look at them. Yeah, so over in chapter 3, um, there's uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He has made this giant idol, this huge image um, that's described in verse 1 of chapter 3. It was 60 cubits, and its breadth was 60 cubits, so its height was 60 cubits, and its breadth was 60 cubits, and he set it up. Uh, and he basically, through uh, verse 7, he designs this worship to it, where once you hear the instruments start playing, everyone bows down pays homage to it. And so in verse 27, as soon as the, or in verse seven of chapter three, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But then you've got Daniel's three friends who are also taken with him in chapter one. Uh, and they're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So um, they decide uh, that they're not going to bow down to this because they worship God. Uh, and that's reported to the king that they're not going to fall down and worship it. And in verse 12, the report comes to the king saying there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar is in a furious rage and he commands him to come to him. But he doesn't just destroy them immediately. He gives them a chance in verse 14. He says, is this true? That, that you're not doing this. And he says, you know, I'll, I'll be patient with you. You have one more shot. As soon as you hear it, you can, you can clear all of this up now and just bow down in front of everyone and it's no problem. And I love their response uh, in verse 16. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So I skipped over. Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't do this now in your second chance, you're thrown into the fiery furnace, you're going to be burned alive. And they say that doesn't make a difference with our convictions. We're still not going to serve this idol. And we're, we're aware God is more powerful and he can, he can save us if he wants to. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to change our convictions. Right. right. Notice also they said there are certain Jews who mm -hmm. did not bow down, the, the, mm -hmm. the ones that you appointed that did not bow down. So what do you suppose a lot of Jews would have done? They went right along with uh, mm -hmm. the crowd. Yep. What 
what mental process and excuses might they have given themselves? We don't really think he's deity. We don't really, we don't really mean anything by it. We're just, I, you know, right now, this could be my life if I don't bow down. And so, uh, you know, that kind of thinking. How, how can I serve God or be of service to him if I get killed over some right, relation? right, right. <laughs> I don't mean it in my heart. And you could say all sorts of things and go home with a clean conscience. But there's a very different attitude here. They decided why. We're not going to change no matter what. Yeah. And when they're threatened with, I can throw you into this, you know, this furnace. And what God can save you, they said, well, God could if he decided to, but whether he does or not, here's what we know. We are not going to bow down. So this really illustrates a mindset that just says what's right is right. It's not maybe it's right. What's right is right. And a disregard for short-term consequences, um, even if those short-term consequences are life and death. It's a trust in the God who made us and who can save us eternally. And just saying, that's the way I'm going to act. And that's not always easy to do, but it takes courage to do that. So let's stop and think about the culture that we're in. I'm going to throw out several just kind of rapid fire examples. Y'all can throw out some as well. And then I want us to think about, and, and then there's another count in Daniel we'd be looking at, how we make decisions and based on what. So you're, you own a bakery. And yep. somebody comes in and they say, we want you to make a cake with two grooms on top to celebrate, you know, our same sex marriage. Uh, we want you to deliver flower. We want you to uh, do the photography for our, you know, lesbian or, or homosexual marriage. Uh, uh, this person that we all know as a woman now decided they're a man or this person that we all know as, was a man is now a woman. Or as in Iowa, just recently, a child molester who had uh, molested or raped children as young as age one went to prison and was serving prison, but while he was in prison, decided he was a woman. He grew braids and started taking hormone treatment, and because the hormone treatment they decided would make him less of a threat, he's releasing. He's getting released from prison. Uh, you, you've got, let's suppose you're at work and you, the department heads announced tomorrow is we're going to do gay pride day. And so here's what we're going to do here at the business to make sure that everybody knows that we are celebrating LGBTQ. You know, you're to wear these colors or that and, and you're to take part in this or to defend Planned Parenthood or whatever. Uh, and all the, all these types of things and more are going on in our culture. You know, the Super Bowl ad, I mean, halftime show. I... Hang on, Scott. You, you think you turned your mic off. You did uh, turn your mic off. The <laughs> Super Bowl. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. For the Super Bowl. And I turned it off when the halftime show came on. But later I read about how horrible it was. And... Uh, even people just in the media are talking about it now, but one article from a reporter in particular, it was kind of interesting. He said, we were watching it with our nine-year-old son and about halfway through my wife said, um, yeah, you know, 
Well, I'm glad at that point she said, um, and I'm glad at that point they started thinking about their nine-year-old, but why were they watching it halfway through before they thought about this? Because society, let me interject. I'll answer that question. Because societally, we have been conditioned to accept that this is normal and you're approved yes. if you don't, uh, if you think there's something wrong with it. Yes. And you are not to speak up. Uh, here's an example of speaking up. Jeff, you just shared a video with us ahead of time about a woman at the Iowa caucus. Describe that for us. So she, she's one of the voters at the Iowa caucuses last night. And uh, she had apparently turned in a card to vote for, uh, to cast her vote for Pete Buttigieg, the homosexual candidate who is married to a man uh, and who walked on stage for his speech last night with his arms around his husband. Um, well, anyway, before that, this woman finds out that this man she's voting for is married to a man, and she was stunned. Okay, uh, obviously not very informed about the candidate. I don't know how, if you're paying attention enough to participate in the caucuses, you're not aware of that, but she wasn't. And so when she finds out, she gets it confirmed, and yes, he is. He's married to a man, and she says, well, I don't want someone like that in the White House. And she just said what she, what she believed. And so the response was, well, he's a human being like you and me. Uh, he, and she said, well, he needs to read his Bible. And the response was, well, he does read his Bible, but uh, I don't think we were around when that was being written. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, but the woman just stuck to her guns, and she said, you know, well, if he reads his Bible, he'd know you're supposed to, a man's supposed to marry a woman, not, not another man. And she had a very simple courage just to say, this is right and this is wrong. And the Bible says so. And it was refreshing to hear somebody yes. just take that tack. And she was asking for her ballot or paper, however they do the caucus, back. Can I have that back? She wanted yeah. to change it. And, and the other girl is being polite. She's saying all the tolerance things, but not being very tolerant of you can have this back. And it's like, well, you know, it's, we shouldn't judge somebody, you know, and, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you agree with their policies, he's a treat. I'm not telling you what to think, but <laughs> while she's telling her what to think. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, I, and, uh, and then, of course, the news media reported it as that this voter. And she flipped out, is what they said. Yes. She did flip out. Yeah, in, in our society, if you stand up for morals, if you quote the Bible, if you stand up for Christ, if you don't go along with depravity, you flipped out. But but just to hear somebody just say, well, he needs to read the Bible. Yeah. It, it was her premise. Her, her premise was the Bible is truth. The Bible is the word of God. And you know what? There are a lot of people who are afraid to say that today. Mm -hmm. And, 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 if, and there's a lot of people wanting to make you be afraid yeah. to say things. There is a great silencing being practiced. And, and you, you hear a lot now about hate speech and expect to see more and more of that. And especially depending on who ends up getting in power and who ends up getting to, to appoint judges, we will probably live to see, I suspect, that if you teach what the Bible teaches, you will be charged with hate speech as a crime. Yeah. 
Now I say this, we live in a society where I may believe the Bible is the word of God, but I can't necessarily assume that my counterpart is coming from that conviction. Exactly. And so I may need to show them why, you know, Peter says, be ready to give answer to every man that asks a reason for the hope that lies within you. Exactly. I need to, to be able to, to present a reasonable case for why the Bible is the word of God. But I'll never get to that point if I'm so mamby-pamby in my, in my presentation of myself that they never find out I believe the Bible is the word of God. about a guy uh, that fits in here. Yeah, yeah, I will. But first, Jonathan had a comment. Then oh, okay. Jonathan, go ahead. Um, yeah, so, well, uh, there's actually a comment that comes in. So let me just say, uh, if, you're, if you're listening um, to the live broadcast, you can give your comments or questions in the Q&A box there on Zoom. Or if you're on Facebook, we're on Scott's Facebook page. So you can bring that comment in. But uh, Dan commented on Facebook uh, and said that society says we should love everyone. But true love would be the courage to tell someone the truth like that woman did, um, which is a good point. Yes. Um, there's this kind of fallacy uh, idea that if if you tell someone that what they're doing is wrong, that that means you don't love them. And right. that's just, that's not true um, in a lot of different ways. So. Yeah, very much so. There's a verse in Proverbs that says something like, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right. We, we've got a culture where you're not supposed to say anything is wrong unless you're attacking Christianity or unless you're attacking white males. Old white males. I'm an old white male. Yes, yes. Then, you know, anything is legitimate. Any attack is legitimate. But otherwise, you're not supposed to uh, say anything. And you saw it in that woman's discussion with the voter. She's trying to get her to not change her vote, but she keeps having to say, now I'm you know, I respect your right. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what you think while she's trying to tell her what to think. Yeah. Uh, we need friends that will tell us when we're wrong. Uh, so real quickly, the, and we'd love to have comments and, and uh, thank you for the comment that just came in. We'd love to have some more comments on this. Um, the story Jeff was referring to. So this, I heard years ago, it's a fella out in, I believe, California. And it was at the time that they were building the Alaskan pipeline. And so there's a huge construction project, a bunch of men going up into remote parts of Alaska. And of course, following a bunch of men going into these camps, there's going to be, you know, people making liquor and drugs and prostitutes and stuff available. It's going to be a, and so this one single young fellow was going to go up there and his friends at church were trying to tell him, that's going to be a really bad situation. It's going to be difficult on you. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff going around all around you. He said, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So he goes up, spends about half a year, makes his money and comes back. And they asked him how it went. He said, I didn't have any trouble at all. They never found out I was a Christian. (laughs) They never even found out I was a Christian. (laughs) Which pretty much tells us he was not. So in, in connection with that, three passages in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul is in Thessalonica, and uh, he runs into some opposition. Verse 5, Jews, being moved with jealousy, took unto them certain vile fellows of the rabble, gathering up a crowd, set the city on an uproar, and assaulting the house of Jason, they sought to bring them forth to the people. Now it's going to go on, and they're going to make the complaint to the rulers of the city 
Uh, these that have turned the world upside down are coming hither also. And, and I think I've often heard people make the point, you know, the people in the first century, Christians, were of such conviction that they turned the world upside down, not meaning that they were out there leading protest marches and throwing bricks through windows or rioting or anything like that, but they weren't hiding their convictions and it was making a difference. They could thus be the salt of the earth. But what I notice here is that the Jews went and they um, uh, just, just read it. Where was it? Verse five, assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring him forth to the people. Apparently Jason is a disciple and the opponents of Christianity knew enough about him to know he's one of them and they knew where to find one. Then we get to Acts chapter 18 and when the Jews bring Paul before Gallio, before the judgment seat in uh, Corinth, and Gallio doesn't care about it, he doesn't want to hear about it. He drove them from the judgment seat in verse 16. So they laid hold on Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him. I take it this Sosthenes is probably the same Sosthenes mentioned by Paul when he writes to the church at Corinth, which would indicate that not only was he the ruler of the synagogue, but he had become a Christian, and the people knew that. And so when they wanted to go find a Christian, when they didn't get satisfaction from the civil authorities to deal with Paul, they knew who was somebody they could get. And then in Acts chapter 19, uh, when the people are opposed to Paul's preaching against idolatry, Peter 29, it says, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. They knew who were people who were like-minded with Paul, and they knew where they could find them. So the point that I'm getting at here is this guy who went to Alaska, and they, they never found out I was a Christian. You know, if you're a Christian who has the courage of your convictions and you're willing to be the salt of the earth, people are going to know yes. who you are and what you stand for. Yeah, and so there's kind of a there's kind of two points um, that, that come from that. Um, when people find out if you're standing up for what you believe in, you keep in your convictions, people are well aware that you're a Christian like you should. Um, shining your light, being the salt of the earth, there are going to be two responses, I think, from the culture by and large. One is going to be there's going to be attempts to silence you. And two, there's going to be attempts to make you want to approve of the evil so that, you know, you don't have any grounds for your complaint or thing. So with the silencing, I'm reminded of in Acts chapter four, um, when the apostles are brought before the Jews um, for the first time, um, and in Acts 4, in verse uh, 18, they called them together and they charged them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. So telling them, be quiet, <laughs> keep keep it to yourself. Um, and I love the apostles, Peter and John's response in verse 19 of chapter 4. Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak about the things that we've seen and heard. And then afterwards, um, when they're released, um, they meet with the uh, the their uh, fellow brethren, and they pray to God that God would continue to grant them boldness. And so in verse 29 of Acts chapter 4, it says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal uh, and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So there's there's absolutely no compromise. When there's a request to be silenced, they say, if you want us to be quiet, that's okay but we're going to keep listening to God, um, whether, well, you know, no matter what you say or not. And we can't be quiet about what right, we say. Right. I'd like to sort of look at two points here. One is that when we stand up for right, 
expect to be maligned. Expect mm -hmm. that people are going to speak evil of you. And then the second point, but let it be because you're doing good, not because you're acting badly. And mm -hmm. Jeff, I'd like maybe if you could comment on, you and I both remember there was a uh, cult up in Rhode Island that when we were planting the work up there, we had some interactions with some of their members and had to deal with that cult leader sometimes. And their philosophy was to behave badly so that they would get arrested, so that they would get thrown in jail or something, and then claim persecution. Now, I want us to look at a couple of verses in First Peter 4 about how we're going to be maligned, but maligned for what's right instead of evil. We're not saying go around acting hateful and, and malicious and things, but mm -hmm. we will be maligned. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, let me just say this too before we go to, to um, First Peter. Uh, in, in Romans, so the one of the first things is there's an attempt to silence. Another thing is there's an attempt to get you to approve uh, yeah. and, and say like, okay, you, you don't have to do what I do, but you have to you have to let me know that you're aware that what I'm doing is right, right. and okay, and that I have a right to do what I want. And both of those are unacceptable. One, the being silent is obviously unacceptable. We're supposed to speak for God and stand up for truth, just like the Peter and John do in Acts chapter four. But in Romans chapter one. Um, there's a, a verse that explicitly says you cannot approve of the evil that someone else is doing. So in that chapter in Romans 1, Paul goes through a long list near the end of different sins and things that people um, get involved in and that they try to uh, advance. So in verse 29, they say they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And That's it's, a good point. You can't, you can't just, you can't be silent, but you also can't do what is, is, is kind of expected of people in the culture. You can't approve of the evil either. And that kind of takes us over to First Peter chapter 4. There can't be an approval and compromise, but it also shouldn't be a hateful, arrogant, you know, attack also either. There needs to be that balance there, I guess. Yeah, and, right. and I want to say, and then we're, first I want us to talk about the Heard, you know, decades ago, tolerance, tolerance. And some of those people have now admitted, they said, we don't want tolerance. We want acceptance. We want mm -hmm. approval. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they want validation. The word tolerate, you know, what do you do when you tolerate something? If you tolerate your neighbor's loud truck or, or noisy, you know, parties late at night, what does that mean? You put up with something you don't like. You know, I may tolerate a day when it's uh, 98 degrees and high humidity. I don't tolerate a day when it's 72 degrees and low humidity. Right, right. And used to, they said, you need to be tolerant. They didn't want just tolerance. They, you've got to approve. You've got, you know, Chick-fil-A, you know, was attacked over and over and over. And they've been denied permission to be in some cities and locations because they, uh, they're not, uh, well, one thing, they won't take a stand of, of, of you know, getting on the LGBT bandwagon. Right. 
I, I want to go back to something Jonathan was saying a minute ago, and I think this kind of go, ties into it, but in going back to your statement that we need to be, ex, we need to expect to be maligned, maybe, maybe to reword that just a little bit, I, I agree with what you're saying, but if I can make a subtle distinction here between expecting to be maligned and being prepared to be maligned. Um, oh, and yeah. I, know, I know you're not saying be defensive, right. But I, I do think that it's important that we not go around with a kind of chip on our shoulder where, right. well, they're going to hate me. Right. Daniel is such a, an appealing and beautiful example because while he's standing for his convictions, he's doing so in, yeah. in, in, in an honorable, respectable, and really beautiful way. He says to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, well, you just hate us believers in God, don't you? That's not what he said. Right. He said, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. He is not compromising one whit, but he's saying, okay, look, I'm not demanding that you have my convictions, but I'm asking you to give me this chance here. Now, Very good. He doesn't look like he was going to compromise whether that chance was given to him or not. But he's being respectful and polite. Right. Yeah. Excellent point. Jonathan. Uh, that that gets kind of brought up in the beginning of First Peter. I assume you're going to First Peter four, um, Scott, but in First Peter chapter two. Yeah, in a minute. But I'm trying. I'm trying to get something here established. We won't let him get where he wants to go, Jonathan. We yeah, just, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. I, I do want to get there in just a minute. There's something I've been noticing the last couple of days, and it's here again about the way maligning goes. The woman in this article, you know, she flipped out. You know, if, if you stand up for what's right. You, you're going to be described in disparaging terms oftentimes. So in Acts chapter 24, the accuser of Paul uh, here uh, in the court setting or before the, the officials, he said, we've found this man a pestilent fellow. Wait, wait, I want to read it from the ESV. We have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Look at the loaded language. You know, he's not just a leader, he's a ringleader, ringleader. negative connotation. He's stirring up riots. Well, there's been a lot of riots. Paul's not the one stirring up the riots. He's preaching Jesus and forgiveness in Jesus. And then the Jews are creating riots, but it gets blamed on him. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, blessed are you when you are persecuted and listen to the language, and and uh, people persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is the reward in heavens, for so persecuted they the prophets before you. So with that behind, now I do want to look at this here in First Peter, when he says in First Peter chapter 4, when you stop doing the things that you used to do, Verse two, you no longer live in the rest of time and flesh to the lust of man and the will of God. The time past may, and I'm in first Peter four, verse three now, the time past may suffice to have wrought the desire of the Gentiles to walk in lasciviousness, lust, wine, bibbings, revelings, carousings, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them in the same excess of riot. And so do what? Speak. They speak evil. Yeah. Now, uh, I really appreciate the point you made, Jeff. That doesn't mean go around with a chip on our shoulder and, and play the victim card. Yeah. We need to do right. But when you're doing right, 
that we're not to be, when we're mistreated, make sure it's because we're doing right, not because we're the ones being a jerk. Somebody could read that starting in verse 14. First Peter 4, 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you because of the spirit of glory and the spirit of God, because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler in other man, men's matters. But if a man, but if it, a man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this name. Yeah. And so you'll remember that cult leader up there in Rhode, Rhode Island. Yeah. And you remember uh, maybe a detail or two to just kind of show their mentality and their approach? I remember a lot of details. I'm not sure. I remember getting, I remember getting yelled at uh, oh, yeah. by him and then being told that uh, that was actually the voice of God yelling at me. Um, I remember. And, uh, and told me that he prophesied that uh, something terrible was going to happen, you know, to my wife and, and kids and everything. Um, and one of his followers was yelling at me. They said, have you ever been thrown in jail for the gospel? <laughs> and, you know, it, they kind of made a point to do things that would get him thrown in jail. And then they claimed, oh, look at us being persecuted for Christ. No, they were, be, they were being thrown in jail because they were people behaving badly. <laughs> they were just, and that's not, that's not, that's, there's no reward for that. No, that's no, no, no. Bad behavior. No, there's no reward for that. Right. There's Daniel, uh, unless one of you has a comment, there's one more uh, account out of Daniel that's helpful to us. What do you think, Jonathan? Shall we let him go to Daniel? Uh, yeah, I've been, we've been cutting him off for a while now. So All right. As well. <laughs> All right. Um, the, uh, in Daniel, we, we've looked at uh, the first one and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then there's a test for Daniel later. And what does he do? And what is that? Yeah, so that's what? in Daniel chapter six. Were you going to say something, Jeff? I was going to go to Dan Daniel chapter six. Go there. Yeah. So in Daniel six, um, the Persian empire has taken over the Babylonian empire or the Medo-Persian empire. And so uh, uh, Darius is king. And um, Daniel advances again, um, which that's the thing that we've been noticing. Um, Daniel is very well thought of by all of the people around him. He's not, yeah. he's yeah. not thought of as a bigot. He's not thought of as an arrogant person. He's very well thought of. And so he advances pretty highly. Uh, and I think becomes uh, the second highest official uh, in the Persian Empire. And the other officials are jealous of this, angry with that. And so in verse 6, they come to King Darius. And they, uh, in this scheme that they've made, um, know that Daniel is a man of conviction. He's a man that serves God and that he prays continually to God. So they make Darius have this law that says for this set period of time, if anyone prays to anyone uh, other than you, then um, they're going to be thrown in the lion's den. And so that is sealed, that's set, that law, the injunction is signed by uh, the king. And in verse 10, when Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his own house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And you, you mentioned there how well he was respected. If he'd been obnoxious, if he'd been self-righteous, right. if he'd been arrogant and abusive toward people, would he have ever have risen to that position? No. And, and verse four, so I skipped over verse four. This is really powerful. The, the high officials, the satraps, those who were angry with, with Daniel or jealous of Daniel, 
they were seeking to find in verse four, sought to find ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So it's like they're looking for something to say, but they can't find anything to say against him because he's just a very well-respected good man. Um, and then they say the only fault that we're going to find is against his law, the law of his God. And so that's where their motivation yeah, For them to be able to say that, they had to know he was a man who had the courage of his convictions. They yeah, had to right. know that he is a man who's going to do what he believes yeah. is right. Mm -hmm. And again, what are some rationalizations that Daniel could have given once the law is passed? For 30 days, don't pray to anybody else but the king. He could have said, well... well it's only 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> You know, God didn't say how many times I have to pray, and, and he could have said, well, I can go. And, the, and it, this is interesting. He could have hidden the fact that he was praying to God. But he went to his window, as he always did, and prayed toward Jerusalem. Well, when Carried away, they would look toward this place. They would pray toward this place. They would put their trust in the God who had put his name on this place. And so Daniel is doing that, and he's not going to compromise that. He doesn't go in and hide the fact that he's praying to his God. So, you know, you, you can think about various things. If, if I pray routinely before I have a meal, and then I'm in a restaurant, I'm not saying that you have to pray every time you have a meal or that you have to pray every time you're in a restaurant, but you might ask yourself, if I do it every time, except when there are other people watching when I'm in a restaurant, why am I not doing it then? I may tell myself, well, I don't want to be self-righteous. Well, would you be being self-righteous or would you just be praying? Or you might tell yourself, well, I don't want to act like I'm putting on a show because Jesus said not to be like the Pharisees and so on. Well, would you be praying to put, be putting on a show or would you be praying because you're thankful to the God who provides you your needs? And some of the times we can tell ourselves, here's the reason I don't want to do this. But really the reason I don't want to do this is because I don't want to look odd. Yeah, there's a difference between standing up in Burger King and praying in a loud voice and interrupting everybody's you know, <laughs> conversation to draw attention. Yeah, to right. There's another thing to do what you would normally do before you eat and, and bow your head and give thanks. And it, skipping one because, oh, we don't want to do the other is, is a false. So, so this topic, we, we thought about doing this topic. What prompted it was actually not the, the video of the woman in Iowa finding out that Buttigieg is a homosexual married to a man. What prompted this product was Sunday night's Super Bowl game and the halftime show. Yes. And, uh, you know, if we just sit here and compromise and let our children and ourselves and our wives just sit there and watch and watch. And after a while, maybe uh, it's along with compromise, there, there's just damage done. And we live in a culture that is going to, there was another news article about it that pointed out uh, the last time the Chiefs won, the halftime show was Carol Channing singing, <laughs> you know, and now Carol Channing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this time, uh, our wait, wait, Jonathan, have you ever heard of Carol Channing? Nope. Yeah, it was been a long time since the Chiefs won, <laughs> and now you know it said they had like a stripper pole and different things. And the, the this is a news article that said 
if they're always having to up it and make it more, what is it going to be like years from now? Wow. A newspaper article asked that question. Yeah. It, or it might've been in a news magazine or something, yeah. but, but some article online and, and, and really, and, and we, we need to be willing to stand up. Like I went to the Pepsi uh, website and at Pepsi, there's a place where you can make comments and you can either click chat, which wasn't available, or you can click email and there's a place for complaints. So I wrote in and I'll, I'll let them, I've complimented on their product, Mountain Dew. I'm a fan of that. And then I let them know what I was not a fan of. And if I'm sure there's a lot of vile people that enjoyed that halftime show, but there's a lot of people. Lady Gaga enjoyed it. She said so. Yeah, yeah I, I would imagine. And a lot of people wouldn't. But if we keep, if, if we never speak up, the, 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 the people that are promoting wickedness are going to speak up lots of times. You know, so let, uh, one little thing you can do is just write to Pepsi and let them know that you don't appreciate that. And if they have enough people contact them saying that was disgusting, I didn't appreciate it, I turned it off, what are they in the business of? They're, they're promoting things, they're wanting to make their product look good, they're wanting to track viewers. If they get enough complaints, they're going to listen to that. Um, let me give two quick examples. Uh, this is a story I heard from Britt Hunter years ago. Um, he said there was, there was some business meeting or convention or salesman's gathering. I don't know what it was, but they had brought in a guest speaker to address them. And he came in, he looked around the room and he realized everybody was male. There were no females in the audience. And so I said, well, since there's no ladies present, I have a joke. But before he could tell the joke, one fellow raised his hand. He said, excuse me, there may be no ladies present, but there's at least one gentleman. Mm -hmm. And there was a pause. And then some people started clapping and several people applauded. And then the speaker thanked the fellow for saying that. And he said, you know, I'm over the years and I've never had anybody say something like that. He thanked him. So that, that story brings to mind Colossians chapter four and verse six, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how to, how you ought to answer each one. You know what that man said, nobody could characterize it as, as ugly or mean spirited, right? Graceful, but there was some salt there too. And then you think about Jesus statement in Matthew chapter five, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And I know some people get puzzled by that. Salt never gets unsalty. How can salt lose its savor? Well, in New Testament times, they had these blocks of minerals or dirt or whatever that were encrusted with salt from around the Dead Sea. And eventually, the salt would be all gone. You just left, left with a chunk of dirt. And so you throw it out in the street. And that's what Jesus says. He says, if the salt has lost its savor, it's therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. And he's telling us we need to be useful. We're good for nothing if we don't have an impact, if yeah. we don't have the conviction to be lights in this world. And one of the curious things about that story is this. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I suspect if he hadn't said that, nobody else would have. And the joke would have been told. And there would have been laughter. And probably some of the people that applauded would have ended up laughing. Mm -hmm. So you've got some people that when he said that they would be, uh, be annoyed with him. 
you know, that's, oh, he flipped out, you know, or, or whatever. They're going to demean him. I wanted to hear that dirty joke. You're going to have that segment. Then you're going to have some people like that fellow who stood up for what was right. And in the middle are your tall grass people sometimes. Right. And they, they're, they see what's wrong with some things, but they don't have enough. And it helps them sometimes to have somebody else right. have the courage to stand up for something. And it gives them courage. How many times has somebody said the right thing in such a situation? And later somebody comes up and says, thank you for saying that. I was thinking the same thing. Yes. John. Um, and so maybe we're, we're about to run out of time. So let me just um, bring this up in Matthew chapter 10. Um, I like the section. Jesus is just, he's sending out his apostles um, and he sends them out to go and preach and to teach and to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he mentions that they're going to be facing a lot of opposition in that they're going to be attacked. They're going to be thrown in prison. They're going to be beaten. People are going to speak evil about them. All this kind of stuff will happen. And starting in verse 26, um, he says one time, have no fear of them. Uh, in verse 28, he says, do not fear those who, ki- who kill the body and uh, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then in verse 31, he said, or in verse 31, he says, fear not again. And in verse 32, he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. I think that's a valuable thing to remember. Um, we're talking about courage versus compromise. Okay. What compromise really is, in a lot of ways, is being afraid of men. Um, yeah. And and that's what Jesus tells his apostles when he sends them out, don't do that. Right. If you deny me, if you're afraid of talking about me and talking about the, the convictions and things that make you a Christian, Jesus is going to deny you before the Father. And what should you be more afraid of? Someone who can kill you, someone who can make fun of you, someone who can malign you, or the one who has power over your soul? Good reminder to end on. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you all for uh, tuning in. Thanks for the comments that we had. Uh, If you have any more questions or any comments about that topic or any other topic that you'd like us to talk about, you could submit that um, to BibleQuest.tv. And we will be back on next week on Tuesday at uh, 2 p.m. is when we start. All right. See you all. Have a good week.